1: After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas.
0: All right, George. So let's talk about the big news of the day, or what we thought was going to be the big news of the day, was the Colts introducing the 21st head coach of the Colts in their history, in Shane Steichen. Um, I think a a lot to take away here, a lot of different intriguing points. I think it's interesting. You want to start with Chris Ballard's maybe reasoning. When Chris Ballard was asked about, you know, why he hired Shane Second, he listed that he was a guy of high integrity, high character, a brilliant football mind, and that they see the game the same way. When you heard that last part, what does that mean to you? When you see this game the same way, Chris Ballard, Shane Second, how'd you kind of take that?
1: I think just in terms of, you know, philosophically, um, when you're looking at what type of football team you want to be, you know and i think what that comes down to is winning in the trenches i mean that we know how chris ballard sees the game and i think if you look at philadelphia uh you watch that game they spent the first half stuffing the chiefs defensive line into a locker i mean it was a bully performance yeah. you know by that offensive line and so i'm sure shane psyche has a real appreciation and what philly led the the nfl i think in sacks this year um so there's no question that he's got an appreciation for how important the line is on, on both sides of the ball. That's, you know, from from the many times that we've been around Chris Ballard over the years, that's what came to
0: my mind first. Right, and that's the thing. He loves to build from within, build on a strong offensive line, build a strong defensive line. I'm with it, too. You watch the Eagles the way they played this year. I think mean, one of the things that worked really well for them was bounce. You know, they able to run the ball really well. But we saw even in the Super Bowl, we have to pass the ball. Jalen Hurts did a, a really good job passing the ball. A lot, you know. Even you know, even though they lost the game, they scored 35 points. Like that was still an Eagles offense that, for about let's say 85 to 90 percent of the game, felt in control. Felt like they were dictating the pace. And again, part of that was even though they weren't running the ball outside of Jalen Hurts really that well, they still were able to kind of keep the Chiefs defense honest. Which again, I think goes back to one of Chris Ballard's points of just like I said, kind of playing balanced football where you do have the offensive defensive lines kind of, you know, running the show, dominating the pace of the game, and kind of instilling their will. Uh, I think that's an area that, like I said, Chris Ballard has tried. Now, that's the only thing I will say is he's tried now for almost seven years uh, to try to win in a certain way, and it's – some years it's worked. We saw this past year it did, obviously did not work, at least on the offensive line whatsoever. So it's one of those where they see the game the same way, and you really hope that Chris Ballard can either get the personnel right or Shane seconds the right guy to get the most out of the personnel on the, on the roster – to where we won't have a repeat of 2022, where you have, again, I still think a lot of talent on this offensive line, but now it's how can you get them to play up to that talent level? How can you get them to play up to that pay scale level that they are getting where they are the highest paid offensive line in the NFL? Uh, it's definitely an area that they're going to have to focus on for sure, but like I said, it sounds like they are in lockstep and unison, Shane Syke and Chris bow in terms of how they want to win. And I do think it's, that's big in, in terms of, I do think, when you look at a lot of organizations, the ones that are successful consistently are the ones that are unified. Owner, GM, head coach, similar vision, similar way to kind of win. And so far, at least that was one of the bigger takeaways and one of the themes from the press conference was it really did feel like Shane Syking and Chris Ballard almost made for each other in the sense that they do complement and really do believe a lot of the core values that each other's, you know, been pushing in their separate careers.
1: Yeah, like we've been talking for months about how it felt like towards the end of the year, team was going in there wasn't one clear direction that there were, you know, this move was made and it looked like it was with this in mind and they made another move that with another thing in mind and things just didn't seem to have a cohesive narrative today. They did, you know, I think all three of them seem to be on the same lo- same page, Uh, much different vibe up there, much different energy than when Jeff Saturday was introduced in November in terms of all three of them just seeming to be of a, of a single mind, all of them, you know, Steichen was emotional his voice was cracking at the beginning. I don't know if the uh, camera was picking it up, but his young daughter was trying to get up to him a couple of times. Um, It was just a really adorable situation, but I think that you just feel they were all together, uh, you know, and and that's a good thing, you know, from day one. I think Sykin's going to make a bunch of hires here in the next couple of days. The most important one's probably the offensive line coach, right? I think that's probably going to be the one that gets the most attention, uh, and it's the most important thing moving forward. If you can get this Colts offensive line to play like that Philadelphia offensive line was playing, uh, you'll change a lot about this offense right there.
0: Without a doubt. Oh, without a doubt. That's for sure. We'll get to the staff hirings uh, here in a second. But going back to really quickly here, George, the the Chris Ballard philosophy, kind of mirroring those. One thing I liked a lot that Shane Second said when it comes to his philosophy and offense, you pass the score, you run to win. And I think we saw a lot of the two in Philly where, again, you got out to – they were one of the best, if not the best, first-half team in the NFL. They got out too early. Jalen Hurts would pass the ball a ton. And you could say maybe they not took the foot off the gas, but they were definitely you know more meticulous in the second half of games. But a lot of that was you run the ball to run down the clock. And I think we've seen that all year long where you have teams like – you look at a team like the Chargers. We see a lot of offensive talent, and Justin Herbert's lighting it up. One of the reasons why they struggle in the playoffs, and one of the reasons why they blew a 27-0 lead – they couldn't run the ball. You, when you have a lead like that, especially late in the season, and we're in a playoff game, you have to be balanced. You have to be able to both throw when you need to, but also run the ball when everyone knows you're running the ball in order to win the game. And that's a philosophy I think. I, I think it's going to really translate well for the Colts here because you do need both. Again, it's a balance. It's a, we talk about the quarterback so much, and it's very important. It's the most important position in all of sports. But with that said, you also need to have some sort of balance where you can't rely on, especially a rookie quarterback, to win you every single game by throwing the ball 45 times a game and trying to salt the clock away that way. You have to establish the run. They have a great weapon in John and the Taylor to do so. I love that that philosophy is kind of, again, it's perfect 2022 football. Pass the score, but also when it's time, fourth quarter and you had that lead and how you preserve the lead, run the ball, get four or five first downs at a time, run that clock down.
1: To me, it's the Peyton Manning formula when he was here in Indy, you know, throw yeah. the ball early, get that big lead. And then for years it was handed off to Edron James, uh, and, and run out the clock. After that, it was Dominic Rhodes and, and Joseph Adai, but the idea was still still the same. Get that big lead, run the ball, and then unleash those defensive ends and, and get after the opposing quarterback. You know, It's a pretty good formula. we're pretty well around here for about 12 years, uh, and it's working pretty well in Philly this year. I think it's one thing I saw from watching the Super Bowl. As we said, we were going to watch it you know, with a different kind of mindset. They're aggressive. I mean, I think you can say that. Pretty clearly, they they were taking shots down the field, um, even in the second half. You know, they, they they're if it's there, they're going to take a shot at it. I think one thing the Colts need that that, that the the Eagles had. Obviously, we talk about the offensive line; that's a big part of this. Uh, dynamic quarterback like Jalen Hurts, you're going to need something like that to make the offense really work. But the skill position players on the the Eagles, I think they had a lot more wiggle than we've seen in Indy. A lot of the Indy guys are straight line guys; they're really good with speed and power. But they're straight line guys. Those Eagles skill position players had a lot more elusiveness. You know, the ability to make a guy miss in the open field. I think they need to find some of that this offseason uh to maximize what what Shane Sykin wants to do. But the other thing he said about that too is, you know, it's gonna change based on matchups. So I think what he means by that is you're playing the 30-second run defense. You may run early. You know, you're gonna you're gonna still take advantage of of what's there to take advantage of. But I think in general. Yeah, that's what you do. You you throw the ball early, you get the lead, and then you lean on a tired defense late and make them try to stop Jonathan Taylor. Seems like a pretty good game plan to me.
0: And that's just I feel like just modern football. And I feel like sometimes it does sound like common sense. And if you're a listener, you're probably saying, Yeah, no doubt. Like it's gonna, you know, if you're playing a bad pass defense, you're gonna want to pass the ball a lot. Like you said, if you're playing the worst rush defense in the NFL, you're gonna you want to run the ball a lot. We've seen plenty of instances and in coaches and teams in the NFL that are stubborn that say this is what we do well. I don't care if that's the other team's strength. We're just going to beat them, and more times than not, either you know you struggle or it doesn't work, and you lose the game in the area where you could have taken advantage of a weakness. You see, you know, even in the Super Bowl, there's a weakness for the Eagles, and in man coverage, you see two wide open touchdowns from the Chiefs. And Parker, they said this is a weakness, so we're going to game plan for that weakness. And you have Shane, Stig- uh, Shane Syken, excuse me, basically saying that's what we're going to do. We're going to game plan for the other team's weakness. It's basically why Bill Belichick, for now, you know, almost twenty five years has been consistently winning in New England. That's he's the king of that. Take away what you do best on, you know, if when he's on defense you're an offense, and offensively play to whatever your weakness is, and I I said I think that's that's how you win in the modern day game. Even if you have a great quarterback, if you need to run the ball 40 times cuz you're playing a bad run team, uh run team, that's what you do. And I think that's yep. that's something the Colts are going to, you know, I think Frank Reich did that well for the most part as well. I think also we've seen instances as well with any coach where they kind of get tried and, you know, kind of stay to what they know instead of gearing towards the game plan of, again, a certain opponent. But very excited to kind of see that. And that kind of brings us, George, to at least what Shane Sykes was talking about is four pillars um, when it comes to having a team. He said the four things he wants to rely on, and he wants his team to have character, preparation, consistency, relentlessness. And kept talking about how, which I liked a lot, it's all about the players. Like, it is a player's league at the end of the day. They're the ones who make the plays and I think when you kind of have that attitude of basically we are going to put the players in the best position to succeed, that in a, at the end of the day I think is what separates some of the good teams from the bad teams.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I thought it was interesting because, you know, same same coaching tree here as Frank Reich. We know that we're we're in the same family uh, that the Colts have been in now for, for five years. That part sounded the most like Frank Reich to me. Those pillars, very similar to what Frank Reich preached around here. And I think that's a good thing. I know there's going to be some listeners who are probably a little bit uh, not excited about any comparison to Frank Reich, but I think when you're looking at Foster that was built to play for Frank Reich, that listened to his message for five years, when Shane Sykes going to stand up there and say some things that are familiar with his own spin, he's not a clone by any, right. by any sense of imagination, you know, but that, that the basic underlying foundation is the same I think that's going to be good for the players. It's what they know. It's what they've been taught. Uh, and it'll make the transition a little bit easier if they're saying, okay, it's the expectations are similar to what they were in the past.
0: I mean, it's funny. Like, not that a lot of fans need this reminder, but Frank Reich was a really good coach. And again, he was unfortunately the product of a really tough circumstance where you had zero stability at quarterback. You had a – You could argue an ascending top five quarterback of Angela coming back the way he did in 2018 and on the rise in 2019. Retire out of nowhere. And he still had some really good offenses considering the fact that, you know, you look at the pieces changing each and every year. So you're 100% right. If you hear some Frank Reich-isms or Frank Reich philosophies uh, from Shane Sykin, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. This guy is a good offensive mind that, again, we kind of joked about when we were doing our live reaction on Sunday to the news that was breaking when we were live. Was the fact that, well, um, he's not gonna have, you would think, I think I can feel good saying this. Shane Seiken is not gonna have the same quarterback carousel that Frank Reich had. You are gonna have way more stability than Frank Reich ever had. You're doing the fingers crossed. I know it's a, you have to say it's a caveat, I get it. But the odds of also the odds of five quarterbacks in five years again is extremely, extremely slim. I hope I'm not sitting here in five years from now getting you know, old take exposed and you know having this audio come back up to bite me. But I feel pretty damn good in saying Shane Second will have a better, will bet better, more luck than Frank Reich. And again, if he is a, not a clone, but again, has certain principles and philosophies of Frank Reich, that's a good thing because Frank Reich is a really good offensive mind.
1: I don't have it in front of me, but I can't imagine that's happened before in NFL history. Not with one head coach. I mean, if you had five quarterbacks in five years, you probably got fired somewhere during that stretch that that's just unheard of. So yeah, I'm with you. And I don't think you're going to see that happen again. And honestly, that's what the whole goal is here to draft a guy, right? That's the whole point behind this. Stop that carousel, bring in a guy and the kid from Alabama looks pretty good. So we'll see how that works out. Uh, But I think that's, that's what you're, you know, that's, that is why you bring in Shane Sykin in my mind. And they kind of touched on that a lot today. He's yes. done a really good job developing Justin Herbert. He's done a really good job developing Jalen Hurts. And the number one goal, not the only job, but the number one goal for this head coach is going to be developing this rookie quarterback.
0: And I'm glad, like I said, everyone's on the same page because Jim Mercer is the one preaching it. Chris Bauer is talking about it. And like I said, it's at, at the end of the day, one of the biggest reasons, one of the biggest separators for for Shane Sykin compared to every other candidate, and there, again, there was a lot of them, was like you said, the ability to develop the quarterback. And, and Jim Jimmer said he felt the you know the most confident in Sykin's ability to develop a quarterback over everybody else. And you, like you said, you look when you worked with Phil Rivers in the short time that you know they were together when he was the outfit's coordinator. You have Phil Rivers you know tying to his career best in passer rating completion percentage was the second high of his career, uh, highest of his career. You have Justin Herbert then as a rookie, uh, working with him, set the rookie record for touchdown passes with 31. Justin Herbert was offensive rookie of the year that year. And you see what he did with Jalen Hurts, where he you know took him to an MVP level in year number two. This is a guy now who has a track record with three different styles of quarterbacks at three different stages of their career, all getting the best out of them. And it's just, again, it just, it makes you really excited that, Whoever the Colts do draft, fingers crossed is Bryce Young, but whoever the Colts do draft, you feel really good about Shane Sykin's ability to develop them, which again, if that's what he's able to do, mission accomplished. There's a lot more to getting to, you know, being a head coach, I get that. But definitely first and foremost here is, is trying to get the guy into town and having, you know, finding the next guy to be there for a decade. And if you are, if you can get Shane Sykin to develop that quarterback to be without a doubt the, ne- the guy there for the next decade, mission accomplished.
1: Yep. No. And I think even as this search got started, that's one of the things we were talking about on the show is, hey, whoever's in here is going to have to build a really good structure around the quarterback. Uh, And I think you feel like Shane, of of all the guys in this uh, candidacy, and there were a ton of them, as you mentioned, um, probably has the best ability to do that because he knows what it takes. He's seen it done uh, a lot of different ways. Uh, You would assume the guys that he's bringing in are going to be guys that helped him along the way. Uh, to get these things done. That's the other thing I really like today from him. You know, he was thanking everybody who got him here. As you mentioned, all the players, I think he named every offensive player on the Eagles roster uh, when he was going through that, but he went all the way back to his high school football coach. You know, and I think that's just, it's it's just telling about who he is in terms of respecting his roots and, and understanding that he he got here on the shoulders of other people. And that's something to me that that really is going to resonate with Chris Ballard. It's very similar to Chris Ballard. I, I think their backgrounds are are similar in that way, and I think it just is encouraging that that they'll work together well because going back to that question earlier about, you know them seeing the game the same way, that's part of it. I think they see life the same way a little bit., uh, you certainly had hints of that during the, the press conference today.
0: That's true. That is uh, that is very true. You mentioned it before, Let's get into it now, George the staff, right? He was uh, Shane Second was asked today. Are you going to retain Gus Bradley as defensive coordinator and Bubba Ventrone as special teams coordinator? Was very non-committal, did not give an answer. Basically said, we're going to get into it this week. It was funny. I did, there was a trend. He did not answer many questions, uh, like actually directly, which is kind of funny to me. He definitely played off a lot and just said, Oh, we'll get into it or we we'll worry about that. we we'll have to worry about it. But non-committal so far on, on the two coaches left over right now, currently from the Jeff Saturday Frank Reich regime at and end of the day is should, I guess we'll we'll go with should. Should he retain both Gus Bradley and Boba Ventron?
1: At this point in, in the in the process, I think so. I mean, we, we talked about the one downside to you know this this taking as long as it did is a lot of guys are off the board. You know, there aren't the same number of candidates, obviously, that there were when the season ended. You know, a lot of guys have been hired, guys like Iro Evero, for instance, out in Carolina. Um, a lot of those positions got filled. So Yeah, you know, I think that's part of it. Why? But the other thing it's important to note, Gus Bradley was there and Bubba Ventrome was there. They were in the room. They interesting. I every every defensive coach was there uh, from last year. They were all there, all the assistants. Um, So to me, that's that's more telling than, than Shane's answer.
0: Yeah, that's really yeah. I would assume that's a I didn't really they didn't obviously show the, the crowd on the camera. So that's a really good point and really good observation that yeah, I feel pretty safe now knowing if, if you're Gus Bradley, you're going to that press conference, you know you're being retained. You're not you're not going there. Uh, I would say with maybe your future in doubt or you know, getting the word that, hey, we're probably gonna go in a different direction. And I think it's a good thing in the end, because like I said, the Colts sequence is not the issue this past year. And I like the fact that he's going to have on the staff. A guy with previous head coaching experience. When you are making your debut as a head coach, it just helps to have someone who's been there, who knows what it's like. Even though Gus Bradley, look at his record's not successful, he just knows, you know, some of the ins and outs, and, and you know, maybe give Shane Seiken a few, you know, pointers and, and you know, cut corners in terms of how to avoid maybe some of the rookie bumps or rookie walls that we've seen head coaches run into. So I think also just the experience as well of being a former head coach. Um, having that next to and kind of on Shane second side, I think is it would be huge, huge for his, uh, learning curve as well. He also interestingly mentioned he was going to call the plays, So he's going to be a first event coach. Also going to be calling the plays on Sundays for the offense. Do you have a problem with that?
1: No, because I think it's part of why he got the job. I mean, you look at Philadelphia's upswing started when he took over play calling about halfway through last season. Um, so I think that, you know, if that's what made you the guy, the Colts wanted to bring in here, then it makes sense for you to at least be heavily involved in it. Uh, you know, as you come in now and Frank Reich did it, you know, his whole time here, he did it from, from day one. Uh, I think it's kind of the trend, you know, there's, I feel like I I haven't done the research, but I feel like as we see more offensive minded head coaches get hired, um, fewer and fewer offense coordinators are actually calling plays. You know, I think Shane was in the minority uh, as far as working for an offensive-minded head coach and being the offensive coordinator calling the plays. Brian Callahan, who was in the search, mm-hmm. did not call the plays in Cincinnati, for instance. Um, you know and that that seems to be more the, the way it is these days. I thought it was interesting. Rich Bisaccia, who was one of the finalists, who Jim Mersey mentioned they really liked and did a good job, said, you know, what what he learned from his studies he told the, the Raiders website this at the end of the season uh, after his season as the interim coach that what he learned most was that there was time to do it, that that he could still be the special teams coordinator and still follow. You know do everything he did on that side, but also during the week, go into meetings and in other rooms and be the leader of the team. Uh, you know, so I think there's different opinions out there, obviously. Uh, but, you know, at least there's one guy who's done it, who said, hey, it's, it's not as hard as it's cracked out to be. And I really think if you look across the league; that's the trend. Most of these offensive head coaches are calling plays. And again, I think it comes from: look, if you just got a multi-million dollar job, wouldn't you want to do the thing you did
0: that helped you land it? No, you're 100. You know, you're right about that for sure. And it's just, it just, it's interesting because when you look at where he's coming from, and kind of Nick Sirianni, who again, as you mentioned, was one of in a one of those offense coordinators in Indy that did not call the plays. Like I said, that's kind of more of a trend now too. Um, but he came in, was calling the plays in Philly, and gave it up rather quickly. And all of a sudden, like you said, as soon as he gave it the play calling, you saw that Philly offense run the ball, be more explosive, and really be a different team in the second half, compared to the first half. So like I said, I like the fact that he has a lot of experience calling plays already. He wouldn't be like a Brian Callahan, who I was high on, but Brian Callahan would have been coming in, calling the plays for the first time if he, if he chose to, assuming he would, And then also being a first-man coach, that is a lot on your plate. So it is nice, like you said, he has that experience. He's been doing it now for a year and a half, doing it at a very high level, guiding the second-highest-scoring offense in the NFL this past season, Guy an offense that scored 30 points or more in each playoff game, including the most points scored uh, in the Super Bowl by a losing team. So that's a guy like you said mentioned. He's done it so far really well. No reason that he should be giving up right now. And worst case, I mean, if we're sitting here week 9 or week 10, he looks overwhelmed. Okay, different story. But he definitely needs to start off. I have no problem with him calling plays and kind of get things going. Like I said, that's where he really kind of so far has made his hay.